Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today we're looking at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. With me, I have the preacher from the Washington Avenue Church of Christ in Jonesboro, Arkansas, Aaron Dotson. And at this time, I'm just going to give him a brief moment to introduce himself. Aaron, would you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for having me on, Josh. Um, I'm Aaron Dotson. And uh, I serve as an evangelist here in Jonesboro, Arkansas, with the Washington Avenue Congregation. Been blessed to be here five years and uh, been married for 14 years. The same woman, got two daughters and and learning a lot with wife and children <laughs> and and uh, learning a few things in the local work, too. I'm very blessed to get to work in the local work and also get to I'm very thankful for this opportunity. Every now and then I get to be on somebody else's podcast. I'm involved in. Uh, three, I think <laughs> I'm involved. I do an audio podcast for the church. Uh, just call it by my name, Aaron J. Dodson podcast on Podbean. I'm involved in twice a month, two by two podcast with Brock Kendall. Uh, and then I do a once a week on Tuesday, Christianity Now podcast actually with Tony Brewer. So I'm, I'm pretty busy with that, but I've changed it around at two by two. We used to do it every week. Now we're doing it twice a month and, Anyhow, you know, the the one that I do with the audio podcast is the one that's considered a work of the church here because the church supports that. They they fund the Podbean channel for me and and so I'm involved in that and of course in the local work and teaching and visiting people to teach and stuff like that. But um like I said, been able to be here for five years now, a little over five years, and uh, we like the area and got some good friends here we're real thankful for. Uh, good elders, deacons, just a whole, I mean, it's very encouraging. I, I feel like That's this is uh, one of the best congregations that I've been able to be a part of. And that so is, we're thankful for that and uh, thankful my children can grow up around that too. Yeah, that's great. And uh, and we will put Aaron's information, all the links and so forth in the notes below. So be sure to check that out. Uh, and I would highly encourage you. I've heard a couple uh, of the podcast that he's on. I think it's the two by two. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, uh, and, uh, well worth your time, uh, especially if you're looking to grow closer to God and increase your biblical knowledge. So, and very encouraging as well. Uh, Aaron's reputation precedes him. I knew of him before I actually met him for the first time. Uh, so I'm excited to have, uh, have him on. Uh, thanks for watching. Uh, like, share, subscribe, uh, here at the beginning. And as mentioned earlier, we're looking at Hebrews chapter one, verses one through four. Uh, the author of Hebrews obviously is the big question that uh, usually people, if they know anything about Hebrew authors, uh, most attribute it to Paul. Uh, and I would, I don't know if I'd lean towards Paul, but I will say this emphatically, whether Paul wrote it or he didn't write it, uh, you cannot help but catch the Pauline influence. So whoever wrote it, I believe at the, I believe had a close relationship with Paul. Uh, if not, uh, at the very least, they heard Paul speak and were familiar with his writings because there's a lot of similarities to it. So uh, the the authorship of Hebrews being Paul has a lot of merit to it, uh, just not an emphatic, uh, yes, he is the author that we can make. Uh, the theme of it is the superiority of Christ. Uh, and when we start off in chapter one, I like to describe this uh, as a cannonball. If you, if you kind of think about getting into a pool. Uh, some people get into a pool, they go, they stick their, their toe in the water, they kind of test the waters, and then they gradually walk down the stairs uh, to get into it. Uh, you look at some of the other uh, books of the New Testament, that's kind of how some of the authors, especially Paul, Paul introduces himself, he kind of gives a an opening statement, not to say that it's uh, not beneficial to study, but just he kind of, you know, prayers for you, prayers for us, introduces himself and 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 kind of has a, a salutation before he got starts to get into his topics uh, mm-hmm. i like to consider hebrews uh, as doing the proverbial cannonball into the pool he just jumps into the subject uh doesn't waste any time easing into it just hits you in the mouth uh with what he's going to talk about and and that's the theme the superiority of jesus and and he starts off with just that so we'll begin reading in verse 1 as long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What do you have there, Aaron? Uh, 
Well, I mean, like you said, if if this is about Christ's superiority, then the people that were receiving this letter originally needed to hear that message that Christ is superior. And as you read the whole letter, you learn that they were going back to an old system that uh, had been fulfilled and to which they were no longer amenable. And so if they went back to it, they would risk losing their salvation if they remained in that um, forfeiting it, I guess you would say, throwing away their salvation because uh, there was no justification in the old system. But uh, yeah, I think the very beginning is the Hebrews writer is plea, making a plea to the people to hear the final word of God. It's like a bridge. You know, God has spoken in the past and he's spoken in these last days. The same God that spoke to Moses and Elijah and the Old Testament people, Abraham, they revered. God has spoken in the last days uh, by his son, as the first letter say, uh, the first verse says. He's spoken today. Well, I got into verse two, didn't I? But, you know, that's that's the idea. Right. I think it's like a it's like a bridge. He's connecting that and they need to listen to this one, this message that's been delivered by this beloved son, as he will reveal in verse two. Great point. And God has spoken. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up um, because I circled the word God in verse one. Mm-hmm. And I just put a put the note next to it that the author of the old law is the author of the new law. So the, the Hebrew author point being is, is he's not discrediting the old law. The old right. law had a purpose. He's uh, validating the purpose of the old law. He's validating the validity of the old law and, yep. and its genuineness and its purpose and, and that it is inspired just as the new law. But he also, as we're going to see, he's going to get into the point that we've moved on. And I like that you called it a bridge. We've crossed over that bridge. Uh, and I appreciate you bringing up the fact that this the audience is Jewish Christians who left Judaism. They're being persecuted not only by Rome, but by their kinsmen. Uh, more mm-hmm. than likely, they would uh, lose. Even when Rome was persecuting the Jews, the Jews would uh, do business with one another and help each other survive. Well, now you've put off Judaism, and so not only are you facing uh, persecution at the hands of the Romans, but now you're being shunned by your family because they think you're blasphemous. Uh, And so now this is a a letter with the intent of keeping someone in Christianity not to go back to Judaism because Judaism is not going to do what the New Testament is supposed to do and what... Judaism has accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. And that was bringing the Messiah into the world. Jesus accomplished what he was supposed to accomplish when he came to this earth. uh, John chapter one, verse 14. And then now we are in, and I I circled that phrase last days in these last days. That's actually verse two. I'm doing what you did as well, but uh, (laughs) it's hard not to get into those last days, but I also underline many times in many ways and just put the note that from Moses to Malachi is about a thousand years. Yeah. And when you contrast that with the new Testament, 50 to 60 years to write the new Testament. Um, and, and I think that there's an urgency there because it is the last days we don't have, uh, and and this is all according to God's plan, but I think that fact right there kind of shows the urgency of, the New Testament message. There's yes. you, a lot of people today think they have plenty of time and you don't know. You don't know how much longer you have on this earth. You don't know how much longer this earth has in existence. Uh, and so I think that that comparison uh, between the thousand years to from Moses to Malachi versus uh, Matthew to Revelation or James to Revelation, however you want to uh, categorize it, is only 50, 60 years. There's an urgency to the New Testament that wasn't prevalent uh, in the Old Testament. So, yeah. and then uh, again, just our fathers and, and the prophets, uh, human vessels to deliver God's word. Uh, as far as just, you know, Moses, the law, the patriarchal uh, men and women, and, and then, uh, and then the prophets of the Old Testament. And, and yeah. that's going to, that's going to prove to draw a distinction uh, as we continue on. You have anything else? Yeah, on the prophets, you know, you could write what a prophet was, a spokesman, uh, Exodus 4.16 and Exodus 7.1, if you mark in your Bible. <laughs> you know, yeah. you got Exodus 4.16 and Exodus 7.1 that speak of Moses and Aaron and being a prophet and speaking for God. 
That's what a prophet was. These these men received messages from God. And like I said, it's a bridge. The word that the Hebrews writer is writing is not new. It's the same God, like you said, and it shares continuity, what he's writing with everything that he has spoken since creation that he revealed in various ways through prophets, you know, writing prophets, non-writing prophets. He spoke in a lot of ways, burning bush, Exodus 3, casting of lots, visions, mm-hmm. dreams, First Kings 19, still small voice. Handwriting on the wall, Daniel 5, uh, audible communication, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1, 4 and following. I, there's a lot. God did speak in a lot of different types of ways in the past. And right. communicating, uh, I think that's the point of the first verse. God has spoken. You, you know, the, the original recipients knew that, and he did it in a lot of different ways. And God has spoken in the last days as well. Great point. And I also put First Peter 1. 10 through 12, uh, next to this verse, where Peter says that the prophets who wrote in the Old Testament long to know more about what they wrote. They wrote yeah. a small portion of it uh, in conjunction with everyone else, and that gives us the entirety of the old law. But those men who contributed to the old law were wanting to be in the position you're in, New Testament church, yeah. because they wanted to know what you know at this point. Same thing, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 10 is another one that I put next there. Uh, precept upon precept and line upon line and, and so forth. Little by little throughout the Old Testament, God revealed, 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 revealed. Uh, and now you, uh, audience, sit in that time where all has been revealed or most has been revealed. Um, and you and I from just today, uh, almost 2000 years later, we have it all we have. I don't think people fully, fully appreciate the fact that we live in a time where we have the full revelation. We've had the full revelation for almost 2000 years. Yeah. We've had very intelligent men write volumes and volumes and volumes of literature to help uh, illustrate and explain and pull out the truths of the God. You and I live in a great time as far as God's yeah. word is concerned, uh, a luxury that even the audience that to, to whom the Hebrew author wrote uh, did not have. And yeah. so um, uh, it's just when you when you step back and think about it, uh, we are truly blessed. So yeah, do you they, have anything else yeah. in verse one? Go ahead. Yeah, they oh, they had all truth, John sixteen thirteen. The apostles, you know, they were all living, walking New Testaments guided by the Holy Spirit directly. But they but the universal church did not have all the mm-hmm. truth in one volume like we do. Right. You know? And so it's easy access and, and, and it's really um you mentioned about the the kind of the goal, you know, Romans ten three, Christ is the goal of the law. Uh, we mentioned that in a moment. And also, 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse, where is it? Verse 11, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I just mm-hmm. That's kind of a passage, you know, to reference. So like you were saying, uh, we've been given all these things. Uh, we, we, know, we need to not follow in the bad example of Israel. These things were written for our admonition, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we have all these privileges, uh, as did the Hebrews writer in the sense that God has spoken in the past, and he's spoken through his son. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready to get into that next verse, too, when you are. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good stuff, right. isn't it? Well, let's move on. Verse 2. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but in these last days, he yeah. has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. What do you have there on 2? In 2, God has spoken, verse 1, in the past. Verse 2, he's spoken in the last days. Uh, this is not some, a hill I would die on. It could be referring to the last days of the Mosaic regime, you know, because mm-hmm. that's when the Messiah came. He came on the scene of the those, you know, end days. Some people would argue and say, well, that would start on Pentecost, you know, and I'm a either or, you know, I wouldn't die on that hill in either one of those. But Jesus right. did appear in the last days of the Mosaic regime, the, the Messianic times kind of overlap there where the mosaic mm-hmm. regime was being fulfilled and then nailed to the cross taken out of the way no longer amenable to it and the last days of the new covenant you know we would probably argue that uh began on the day of pentecost with the church and that kind of thing but i think it's either or um i don't think it's something to really divide over but in my mind the american standard version says half at the end of these days and mm-hmm. there may be something to that the end of what days 
well, not the end of the days of the world. Uh, the world has been here for 2,000 years. But at the end of these days would be the days of the Mosaic regime when the Messiah was fulfilling, you know. And then, of course, the authority of the Old Testament would go away and the authority of the New Covenant would be proclaimed on the day of Pentecost. So, Right. But, you know, obviously the Old Testament is the Word of God, uh, but the writer is arguing that God's Word is in that, that, that his son gave surpasses even the words of the past that's what i would i think as a reference would be like matthew seventeen five, on mount transfiguration you know the father says hear him hear my son right. this is my beloved that reminds me uh, that passage uh, is in my mind when i read god has spoken in these last days to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom he made right. the worlds no, and that's that's great, and and I and I'm with you. I think the distinction here is is that his son, who was a prophet, but I think we're starting off very beginning. We're going to show the superiority prophets, uh, as we mentioned earlier, um, versus his son, who was the prophet. Deuteronomy 18. Yeah, uh, and, you know, especially Moses said that one like yes. unto Moses, uh, and that's the one who they were looking for. I almost wonder if there was some doubt in was Jesus really the Messiah by this audience? Uh, because I, I just don't understand how you can. And again, they're probably written uh, 60 to between 60 and we'll say 70 AD. I don't think the temple had been destroyed by the time Hebrews had been written. Uh, like we mentioned earlier, I do believe that Paul had a, influence on this book and so and it it probably dates in the middle to the end of the 60s uh ad time period and so maybe there is some question they are three decades removed from everything christ did and and so maybe there are some questions was he really the messiah and you go to second thessalonians there they were they thought the the return of jesus was imminent during their lifetime. And so I think there's some patience that's not being exuded here. And, and so I'm, I'm with you. I do think uh, maybe some of the expectations that they have is, is causing them to maybe doubt the decision they made to go to Christianity, which gives us obviously uh, the need for the book. Uh, I put, I circled to us by his son, John chapter 12, verse 48, as well as second Corinthians chapter five and verse 10. Um, essentially, talking about his son's the one that's going to judge us the words of jesus will judge us jesus we will stand before christ mm -hmm. 2 corinthians 5 10 uh and that's why it's important and mm -hmm. and uh here i think we're going to see that that and he's going to establish this throughout um but what i did is i went through and just kind of put uh some uh i'm gonna i'm gonna skip ahead just a little bit just, and then we'll talk about it in greater detail but uh, I underlined spoken, I underlined spoken and put profit. Uh, and then in verse three, I underlined purification and put priest. Uh, and then uh, again, in verse three, near the end, uh, it says he sat down. I underlined that and I put king. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yes. There's Jesus as the prophet, priest and king. Yes. And that's a unique role that he fills. He's the only one who's ever sat simultaneously as a prophet, priest and king. You yes. had. Um, You've had those who have filled prophetic and priestly roles. You've had kings who filled prophetic roles. You've even had a priestly king. Uh, Ezekiel and Zechariah, prophets and priests. Uh, David and Solomon, prophets and kings. Melchizedek, priest and king. But nobody apart yes. from Christ has ever filled all three of those roles. Yeah. And he's making that distinction here in the first three verses of this book. Yeah. Again, uh, superiority, so superiority. You're absolutely Christ. right. I mean, if you, if, and so, yeah. um, but anyway, what else do you have on, yeah. on verse two? Yeah. I like that. Um, uh, he's spoken these things to us by a son, John 17 verses eight and 14, uh, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus said, for I have given to them the words, which you have given me. So the word that Jesus spoke and he spoke to the apostles and I've known surely that I came forth from you. Verse 14, I have given them your word. So again, the father gave the word to Jesus. Jesus gave the word to the apostles. The world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Um, 
in other words, this word that God has spoken through his son, his son ordained and gave to others, to apostles and mm. prophets of, of his time, you know, of the first century. Right. And, you know, he who rejects you rejects me, Jesus said, Luke ten sixteen, when he sent right. the 70 out, when he when he appointed them to go out and speak on his behalf as as ambassadors, you know, as spokesmen for him, as eyewitnesses. And uh, but, you know, they were they were speaking the message that Jesus had given. So uh, that's a, that's an incredible thought to think about. They had that responsibility. And as you said a moment ago, uh, we're talking about we have all the truth. And we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second right. Peter one three. I, I like that you brought up that that Christ gave the message, uh, because I think there's some superiority shown in that. With prophets of the Old Testament received the message from God. How many times do we read that the prophet said, "The Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said"? Yeah. Um, whereas in Christ makes you know my words will judge you, uh, mm-hmm. and and so there's that distinction of superiority. Prophets spoke what God spoke jesus was god so uh then you have uh, the many prophets uh versus the the one son you know know, took you know so many prophets during the old law to convey the message jesus is speaking the one one jesus is speaking his message then they they delivered it in incomplete fragmented uh sections that combined to make the entirety of the message, whereas in Jesus gives the final and complete message. Uh, and so uh, first two verses comes in and just, I mean, right. Like, and this is why I say it's more of a cannonball into the subject is because it just right off the bat, just starts showing yeah. uh, the prophets to whom you, the, the teachings and, and so forth that you, to whom you were looking to go back to Christ is superior in all these ways. Well, he's, uh, he's, and, you know, God appointed Christ as heir of all things. That was a promise to the Messiah. Psalm two, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And then the last part of verse two, whom he also made the worlds, John one, one through three. So Christ, the second person of the Godhead is the one who created all things. That was the plan that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had. And Jesus carried, he executed that. He as right. creator. So this is showing again, like we said, his superiority to a group of people that need to be reminded there's nothing better or greater, more powerful, more authoritative than Christ. He is the heir of all things. He's the Messiah and he is the creator. He's been, he's, he is, as the last phrase says, he made the worlds. Um, so again, God has spoken in the past, he's spoken in the last days. He spoke by his son. His his son is supreme above all things and all people. And that that's an excellent point. And we want to point out that when you when you look at the superiority through Hebrews, anytime anytime the Hebrew author by inspiration of the Holy Spirit compares Jesus to anyone, Moses, Joshua, Melchizedek, Levi, Aaron, whoever. He always represents those to whom he is comparing Christ at their greatest moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, he never, you know, we have a, t- a tendency today, and I say we, humanity has a tendency today to lift ourselves up by bringing other people down. Well, that's not what the Hebrew author does. Hebrew author lifts the people up as high as he can, and then he shows how Christ is superior to them at their greatest moments, yeah. uh, which is true superiority. Yes. Uh, you know, I, Christ is better than everyone at their greatest. And that's done here. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So these prophets, Elijah, Elijah whoever, were speaking the words of God. These were God-endorsed men. Yeah. But this is God himself, God the Son, yeah. second member, incarnate. Uh, God come to earth to deliver this message. And so automatically, uh, spirit of Christ, uh, at the forefront of the, the thought you have anything else on verse two. I just, like you said, Christ's authority, I think of the sermon on the Mount. The last thing is Matthew seven, 24 to 27. The end, he sums the whole sermon up by saying, so whoever hears what I say and you do it, you'll be blessed. You'll be wise. If you don't do what I say you'll you'll suffer destruction (laughs) and they they recognize the way he spoke as one having authority Mm -hmm. not the scribes you know the scribes often quoted their sources jesus didn't quote anyone he said i am the way (laughs) the truth and the life john 14 6 so uh, that makes me think of the trilemma he's either a lunatic a liar or he really is the lord and uh, he is the lord yep excellent verse three 
says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What do you have there? Well, let's see here. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, his radiance, he's the brightness of God's glory. Uh, there's a lot of references, but just one or two. Exodus 16, 7, 24, 16, 33, 18. In the Old Testament, God's glory is synonymous with his presence. So Jesus came to show us, you know, who God is and what he's like. Uh, the image of light, of course, in Scripture, it refers to God's nature. And there's a lot of passages that teach that, Isaiah 42, 8. So, you know, as there's no difference in looking at the light versus the light itself, the radiance of light and the light itself, there's no difference between looking at Jesus and looking at the Father. You know, I think I have in my Bible literally written down by the word image, the imprint of the stamp on a page, Christ, a representative of the Father. Of course, all the divine nature dwells in Jesus bodily. Colossians 2, 9 is another good. Mm -hmm. He's not merely a representative. He was a representative, but he, well, I wouldn't say he's merely a rep, you know. Right. He, he, is, he is the thing itself. He is the divine nature itself. And that kind of gets a little bit into, I don't want to stray, but if whatever you want to, you know, into the idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That they, right. they all three are divine. There are not three gods. There's one divine nature, but there are three that have that divine nature, you know. Right. Yeah. And um, I'm reminded, you know, when you talk about spoken us to us by his son, you know, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Using that, that, that Greek logos word, uh, the communication, this, this is God's communicating you know you look at christ you look at how he lived uh we know that that's how it, however christ handled the situation that's how god the father or god the spirit would have handled the situation in the same if they were the ones who had come in incarnate form they had their roles and i and i think there's that organization you see amongst the godhead that they they fill the roles in creation and the in the establishment of the church hebrews 1 3 through 14 and so forth uh but like you said uh, there's that, you know, watch Christ and however Christ would handle it. That's how the Godhead would handle it. That's, you know, exactly. And so, uh, I, I put in, in this and I numbered, uh, seven things, a seven fold argument that Christ is God's greatest statement. I put a one next to the heir of all things. Uh, I put a two next to through whom also he created the world uh, of the glory of God. Number four is he's the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, like you were talking about, verse five, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So not only did he create everything, but he continues to be a part in uh, the function of the world and the universe of what mm -hmm. of his creation. So not a. Uh, is, is a deistic viewpoint where he wound up the universe and set it on the shelf and walked away without any concern, uh, which, you know, adds power to our prayer because we're praying through the one yeah. who upholds the universe to the father. Um, after making purification for sins, that's number six and sat down uh, at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's number seven. Uh, all those statements showing how the greatest statement God could make is greater than any statement the apostles and the apostles of the old testament made some great statements and 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 were bold and powerful and conveyed the word of God uh to in a way that that pleased God but God's greatest statement of everything is the fact that Jesus came lived on this earth completed his mission, died on the cross, raised from the dead, ascended back to the right hand of God, and then continues to pay a part in the world's uh, dealings and so forth. Uh, there's no greater statement than that. Jesus is the ultimate of everything about God, his glory, his love, his uh, wisdom, his capability, whatever it is, Jesus is the best statement of any of it. And yeah. I think he starts off uh, in this book, just emphasizing that uh, yep. you, you can't get any better than that. You have any, what else you have on three? Yeah. I was just going to say that kind of like you, did you say you had seven points or eight? 
I, I think seven. I, yeah, yeah, I think I had the seven too that he mentions there. Okay. I, I look. I noticed we might that. Be using this. Yeah, I noticed that. It, it's right there in the text. You know, Jesus is heir, creator, radiance, imprint. And what I was going to say about two, three, four overall is, I think the Hebrews writer he's saying that Jesus or God rather has spoken through Jesus, and here's how Jesus is qualified to have this authority. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe chapter one could be summed up with the word guidance. I know in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Dan Winkler's workbook on Hebrews, I think maybe he sums up Hebrews one as guidance, you know, a word of encouragement, guidance. And, yeah. you know, that's that's what he's trying to get them to do. Like this, this is the man, this is the God, the you know, the son rather that you go through that he he's 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 qualified. He's heir. He's creator. His, he is the brightness of God's glory, radiance. Jesus is imprint. He's the exact express image, sustainer. Uh, which one did we leave off with? Um, the word he uh, is sustainer. He upholds. Mm-hmm. That means to cause to follow a certain course and direction or to get, conduct or to move an object to a particular point. He is active, like you said. I mean, we we may not know all the details of that, but the Lord Jesus is active in upholding the world and the universe by the word of his power. Um, right. And as you mentioned a moment ago, too, like with priest and king, he's priest and king as well. He purged our sins. The background of that, of course, is the Old Testament Day of Atonement. Exodus 30, right. verse 10, I have that. Leviticus 16, verse 30, the blood covenant. Exodus 24, 6 through 8. Um, we'll better appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus and his work as a high priest when we have a mental image of the dirtiness of sin and our need to right. be clean of it. You know, 100%. I think perhaps that is one of the greatest gaps between the word of God and our understanding is the appreciation, the understanding of that. You know, there's always a cultural mm-hmm. and time gap from the Bible to us. It's written 2,000 plus years ago. And I think right. that's part of it because... When we come to God through the new covenant, we we hear the great message that Jesus pray, paid the price for sin, but except for our own sins costing us problems in our lives, it didn't really cost us the same way it did under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, right. it, it cost your animal and or your money, you know, right. to buy an animal. It literally mm-hmm. cost you something. And I know there's consequences for sin even today, but it's just different then. Because then mm-hmm. you're inv- involved in putting your hand on the head of the animal and seeing this innocent animal that didn't have anything to do with your wrongdoing die for your sins like that, to atone, mm-hmm. to cover uh, your sins. So when we start to appreciate what the Bible teaches about how ugly sin is, then we start to appreciate Jesus as high priest, how he purged our sins, uh, his sacrifice. I love First John 2, too. Uh, he's the propitiation for our sins and for the sins of the whole world. He, um, his death uh, atoned and appeased the wrath of God. He purged and cleansed us uh, from our sins. Again, we're going to better appreciate his work as high priest if we have an idea, at least a little bit, an elementary understanding of uh, of blood and death and sacrifice and the dirtiness of sin. Right. Otherwise, we just keep, keep doing it. If we don't think sin's bad, we'll just keep doing it. You know. No, that is a that is an excellent point. Um, I that is that is you you are a hundred percent right. There is a lack of appreciation yeah. for what Christ did because we don't. And I don't know if it's understand, but I don't think we take sin as seriously as God takes it. Yeah. And and you're absolutely right, and that's that, and that's the value of the Old Testament. And in Romans one fourteen, yes. the things are in the fourth time we're in for our learning. The value of the Old Testament is to see you had to take this animal that you essentially raised as a pet because it had to be without blemish, so you didn't put it out with the rest of the herd. You protected that animal. Yeah. Uh, I would argue maybe even formed a relationship with it to a certain degree, and then the father of the house had to take its life. Yeah. Uh, in order to offer it as a sacrifice there, you know, there's more going through it, through your head in the old Testament than today. And I, I think you're a hundred percent right. Well, I mean, I grew up around the church and I'm so thankful for that. And I grew up hearing the Bible from a young age and, and I would never want to change that. I wouldn't, I was very thankful for that, but it seems like my appreciation didn't develop more until I started reading the old Testament more. I mean, I always mm-hmm. heard from good preachers and my godly parents, you know, 
look what Jesus did for you. And, and that's right for them to say. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. But then just like to appreciate, okay, this corresponds with what happened in the Old Testament, but on the fulfillment scale, you know, Jesus, the sinless God-man, you know, it, I, I, recently I've wondered, uh, and I don't, I'm going too far afield here, just bring it back, but I've wondered in recent times, did the Jews, when they were sacrificing these animals, did they ever think, did it ever cross any of them, any of them, did it ever cross their mind, okay, I got to kill this animal, is my life equal to the life of an animal? I, I know in the law, you know, God speaks of animals. They're important when they have a use, but my life is more important than an animal. I, you know, I, I bear the image of God and I'm a descendant of Abraham. And, you know, how is it that this blood of the animal, how does that equate to my being covered to, you know, cause in mm -hmm. Leviticus, he said, you do this, you'll be forgiven. And I believe they were. Some people say, well, not what it was rolled forward and all this, but I believe he was forgiven. And the re the, you know, Romans three explains that. They were forgiven because right. God knew Jesus would die. You know, that's right. that's why they were forgiven. And so they really were forgiven. Um, and so I don't know. I wonder if they ever thought that about the animal's blood. But again, it just goes back to appreciation for the God man who suffered and died right. as a human being, not an animal, but a human right. being as the God man. He's our high priest. He purged our sins. And, and of course, he he was, you know proclaimed to be king he sat down at the right hand of god he became so much better than the angels um right the 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 kings and the priests of the earth they have to continue to do their work jesus um his work as king you know he finalized the purification of sins and sat down i mean he's he still he still works but not the salvation work <laughs> you know right he's still acting in providence and that thing but but as far as salvation uh that work is done. Yeah, that work is done. He continues to cleanse, but again, that goes back to his death on the cross. Right. You know? Yeah, and and that's the Hebrew author makes that point. One sacrifice for all all mankind for all time, forward and backward. Um, and and that's an excellent, excellent point. And and uh, we don't view sin. You know, some may view sin as as a choice. I can do it if I want or not want. Maybe it's reprehensible by culture standards yeah uh, others may look at it a little further uh from the standpoint of uh sin will cause me to go to hell so that's why i don't do it uh but like you said you start to get this appreciation for sin uh and you eventually and and i think and it only comes with study and 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 you know christian living but eventually you we have to get to the point that sin offends the benevolent God. Yeah. The God that the God that that created us because he wanted to create us. Not because he had to, not because he was obligated, but because he wanted to. The sin that that brings him into a covenantal relationship with us and the wealth that we have from that covenant. See, we uphold our end of the covenant. He's obligated himself to uphold his promises of the covenant. The the love that would send his son to die to fix the problem that we created. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Sin offends him. Yeah. And 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 eventually if we're living the way we should, studying the way we should, yes, I don't sin because I don't want to go to hell. Yes, I don't sin because it makes me look like a stain on society. I get that, and those are all great reasons not to sin. But ultimately, we get to the reason is is it hurts our God, it hurts our Creator, yeah. and 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 it makes and and the Hebrew author would deal with it. It makes the sacrifice for Christ as far as our life because He hung on that cross for you and me individually. Yeah. So as I continue in sin then I am essentially, and he says, you crucify him all over again. But essentially, it's as if I'm looking at that sacrifice that he made and I'm turning my back on it. Not worth it. Yeah. Uh, and and so, uh, excellent point, uh, yeah. bringing that up. What else do you have on three? Um, let's see on verse three. He, he upholds all things by the word of his power. Uh, keeping in mind what we already said, John 1, 1 through 3, Jesus created all things. Uh, he mm -hmm. upholds all things by the word of his power. Psalm 33, 6 and 9. I have that there as well, uh, which by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. 
verse 9. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. And when I put this together with John 1, 1 through 3, and then Colossians 1, uh, Paul wrote about, you know, all, all things consist in him. All three things were created by him and for him, and he upholds all things. So it's all about him. He did it. It's for him. It's for his honor and for his glory. And like you said, that's a that's going to resonate with me for a while. He did this uh, because of his great love for us. And when we say no, we're saying no to the greatest sacrifice that was for our benefit. And I like to think of it that way. And I preach it that way, too, that God's law and his and the sacrifice of Jesus is for our benefit. Like the whole plan of redemption that's for our right. benefit. Yes, it gives God glory. Yes, I, you could argue like the ultimate is to, for God to be glorified. You know, yes, and indirectly that that benefits us. That like we're we're the recipients of that if we enter that covenant with God in Christ. Uh, but but anyhow, like I said, another thing is like the word of His power. That's He's qualified, uh, and they needed to listen to Him, and so do we because of the word of His power. Um, we li we listen to people, you know, we, we listen uh, to people that we love, that we admire. We listen to people that we fear uh, to an extent, to a degree. And so here's this very unique, most unique person <laughs> um, who has all power, who has all authority, who upholds all things by the word of his power. Um, again, you go through the list of the seven things that he is and nobody like mm -hmm. that. <laughs> You're absolutely Only right. Him. And Why would we not? Uh, stand in awe and even shudder, you know, at his greatness and goodness and majesty. And again, to know that he did this for us, for our benefit and our blessing. Right. Why me, Lord? Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I circled the word sat. Abs yes. Yeah. I circled the word sat. Uh, I think that's one, it's a formal dignified act based on where he's sitting. He's sitting at mm -hmm. the right hand of the majesty on high, the right hand of the father. Um, First, uh, or I'm sorry, John one and verse 18, he has sat down, uh, next to God. That's the closest position, uh, you can have. Uh, but here, um, not only is it a prestigious dignified act, it's an act of finality. Yes. Uh, you consider, uh, the priest, uh, just consider like you mentioned the day of atonement. Mm -hmm. Uh, the priests didn't have time to sit down. Uh, they were, I mean, you had people bringing sacrifices and they were carrying out the, the duties, the priestly duties that God commanded them to do. That was a busy day. Yeah. Uh, and, and here, uh, you have Jesus sitting down. He pur he purged the world of their sins with his blood. There's yeah. no longer a sacrifice. Like you mentioned that, uh, the sacrifice for salvation is done. Yeah. And so now he sits down. Uh, and so there's there's nothing more to do from that perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, and in reality, you know, yes, he operates providentially and all that. But the the, the work now has been moved to you and me. Yeah. Uh, and I like the way one preacher uh, put it. He said that Jesus took our place on the cross so that we can take his place in the world. And if if you don't think that you have a, a, an obligation to evangelize, and yeah. spread the word and, and, and glorify him through your actions, uh, then you're not understanding uh, the alternative. And the alternative is dying for your sin. And and yeah. and, and and so, uh, excellent, excellent point. You have anything on three before we move to four? I, you know, I didn't say much about the, that's verse two, about heir. He's heir of all things. That means mm -hmm. that he owns everything. You know, to inherit in the New Testament can mean to be granted authority to use Matthew twenty one thirty eight Galatians four one, um, and an example of that would be Israel's receiving the promised land by taking possession of it. Um, right, and so Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, he has inherited all things. He's been delegated all authority. This obviously was an agreement, a plan that the Father had, to which all three of the Godhead agreed to before time began. You know, the lamb slain right. from the foundation of the world. God had this plan from the beginning of the world. And again, the whole point of these first four verses, listen to Jesus. He's qualified. He is heir. He is creator. He is the brightness of God's glory. He's God's imprint. He's God's, he's the sustainer of all things. What he has inherited, inherited, he sustains. He's, he is the priest, you know, the king and already covered the prophet because God spoke through him. 
Uh, right. This there's not been no one, but yet they would honor Moses. They would honor Abraham. And if they're going to, you know, I think of John seven. I may be tying two different things together. Maybe I don't think I am, but John seven. I'm teaching through John uh, right now in the local church, and John six and seven. Well, five actually. The end of five. Jesus said, you know, if you if you if you believe Moses that you hold mm-hmm. so near and dear, you would believe me. You know, right. he he wrote about me. Uh, he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings. Uh, how will you believe my words? So the writings and the words, they, they went together. The writings pointed to Jesus and to his words, and his words pointed back, you know, like you mentioned, Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen, the prophet like Moses that would be greater than Moses, one of the Hebrews, a Jew. Huh. They listen to Mo. They get more or less what I got out of that study in John 5, and it just ties into this, too, to people who were going back to Judaism because of persecution and other otherwise social you know, ostracization or whatever you'd call it, being ostracized socially mm-hmm. with persecution. They 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 did not truly believe Moses. If they had believed Moses, they would have believed what Moses wrote. It's like they were using the scriptures for their wrong purposes. They instead elevated their traditions, uh, their so called interpretations of the word. Mm-hmm to make it their own religion. You've probably heard this uh, phrase before, making God into our own image instead of honoring God in his image the way he really is. That's what they often, many of them did. And I think that could be part of the problem with with the situation of Hebrews going back uh, to the system that's dead, that's now been fulfilled. You claim to believe Moses. You claim that he had God's power and authority. Well, this one this one created Moses. <laughs> you need to listen yeah. to him. He'll say that later in chapter three. He who built all things is God. Right. Great point. Great point. I like how you tied that back because you're absolutely right. In the uh, chapter five, uh, before he brings Moses in as a witness, he brings the scriptures in as the witness, mm-hmm. uh, which I think, again, same thing that that uh, the the words spoken by the to the fathers by the prophets point to jesus yeah that would include what I mean, Moses wrote you know like you exactly. said exactly yeah absolutely so a uh, very good point verse four says having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs what do you have there he's become so much better than the angels uh well when i was studying this not too long ago i was wondering you know why contrast jesus with angels and there's theories you know uh, one theory is that the Hebrew audience worshipped angels, a practice to which Paul once alluded in Colossians 2.18. I don't know. I don't know. Most of the Jews only worship God, you know, monotheistic, that kind of thing. But another theory is based on the fact that the angels had mediated the law of Sinai. So, if mm-hmm. you know, if, if the writer could establish that Jesus was greater than the angels, he could present Jesus as being the better mediator of a better covenant, worthy of greater loyalty. Um, a third explanation I came across was, more likely in my mind, is that some first century Jews and even Jewish Christians were tempted to ascribe to Jesus the status of being an angel rather than God. I think that's definitely mm-hmm. maybe more likely. Um, so, you know, and I one person wrote, if they could, if they'd simply agree that Jesus was an angel, maybe even the greatest of the angels, but not God, they would be accepted in the synagogues. I mean, it definitely sounds very plausible. Um, right. What we do know is Old Testament clearly declared there was one God, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and he didn't share his glory with any other, Isaiah 42, 8. So the only other category available, as some thought, was that of some kind of cosmic superhero archangel or something, you know, archa- archangel. But right. So it, it's claimed that many early Christians believed the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament even to have been the pre-incarnate Christ. But the, right. the, the main point is that Jesus, as God's son, is contrasted with the angels because the angels are inferior to him. He obtained an inheritance more excellent than the angels. He's called the only begotten son of God. The angels are not called begotten of God. And I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'd like to hear if you have any thoughts on that. I don't, yeah. I don't, um, know, I don't know for sure. But like, what do you think the significance is of why he's? Why is it important? Like in my mind, in a modern mind, I'm like, well, duh, he's greater than the angels. He created the angels. But why right. would they need to hear that? What do you think? 
Well, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think it's the first one. I, I don't think there was angel worship among the Jews. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they learned their lesson after the Babylonian captivity. You never see them worshiping idols again. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, so I don't think that's the case. I would probably lean more into the vein of the second one you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, and I like it too. The angel, yeah. The angels delivered the old law. It, uh, he's going to make that point later on uh, yep. that, you know, the, the, the law delivered by the angels yep. uh, when he can, he's comparing the, the law, the new law to the old law. And he'll, he'll describe it as that. And I think the law divided, you know, delivered by the angel stays in uh, the same vein as how God spoke. Cause he spoke by the prophets, but he also spoke by angels uh, in the old law. And so uh, that would be my, uh, my personal leaning uh, if you will, yeah. is that, you know, he's, He's not excluding, you know, the old law was delivered by prophets. Uh, it was also delivered by angels. Christ, the messenger yeah. of the new law, is superior to both of those. Uh, and so I think it kind of stays in that same vein. Yes. Um, the, another reason is, is in some, like you mentioned, and the Colossians 2.18, the angel worship. Um, but Paul does make the point in Galatians 1, 8 and verse 9. That if you receive any other God, if we or the angels of heaven deliver any other gospel than that which ye have heard, let them be accursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so uh, I, that's what I think. I think that the message of Christ is greater than the message of the angels. If yeah. the angel uh, conveys and, you know, whatever, the angel conveys the message of Christ, then it's good. But if they say anything contrary to Christ, and I just think it's putting the angels in that same vein that they're, the angels are delivering the message of God, yeah. whereas in Christ is delivering, you know, his message is God's message. God's yeah. message, the Father's message is Christ's message and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, and so it probably stays in, in, to, in that. But um, but there is a, a sense, too, you go to uh, Jude, uh, as well as I think it's Second Peter, where it talks about the angels being mightier than men. And, and so, and you're, and I think he's also probably laying the, now I do think there was an argument that Jesus, uh, who for a time was made lower than the angels. I think people were making the point that angels are greater than, than man. Jesus was a man. Therefore the angels were greater than Jesus. Uh, and so I think he's probably laying forth that at the beginning here. He's going to deal with it in chapter two as well. Um, but and again, we're going to show God's superior or Christ's superiority to everything, uh, and and so let's start with the prophets, uh, because what's the and you mentioned and that's it. The 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 problem is we're going back to the old law, yeah. so let's from the get go start off. The superiority of Christ starts in the fact that you have a better deliverer of the new law than you have of the old law. Yeah. And, that's prophets and angels. Yeah, so, amen. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, yep. Those are some great, yeah, that's, that's some great points. Yeah, you, you have know, anything else on God, four? I was just going to say, God is a father to Jesus, and Jesus is a son to the father. The angels are not. Uh, right. You know, the angels. Yeah, and, he, and that's that's what he makes in verse five. Yeah. You know, who is God called his son? Exactly. Not an angel. Exactly. Not, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, let me check. Yeah, that's. I think that's about all I have there on the first force and, and including verse four. But um, it's obviously things that Jesus has. There, here's something I've kind of thought about and wrestled with a bit. He obviously, he was God in the beginning. He he remained God uh, and man on earth. And then I still believe he's deity today, you know, in heaven, talking about the second person, God. But there are things that he became. He became so much better than the angels. Well, was he not better than the angels before he became a human? Yeah, but he became mm-hmm. a human. And maybe that's kind of, maybe part in there too, what you were saying, like he became a little lower than the angels, like a human being, but then he was exalted back to the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah, that's what I think yeah, it's talking I, about. I, yeah. yeah. You know, and he never lost superiority to the angels no. in rank. Um, yeah. because you see Matthew four after, yes. he, uh, uh, after he overcomes the temptations of Satan, they the angels tend him. to him. Yeah. They serve him. Uh, I think, you know, we're talking about lower than the angels, um, and become much superior to the angels. I think you're right. It's going back to that form. 
uh, greater than the he. The only way he was lower than the angels is taking on the human form. Like his role, I guess you might say. Uh, he, he. Well, I would yeah. just say the the just uh, being incarnate, yep. being a human being, he was lower than the angels. Yep. Now, uh, if you're gonna, you know, from that standpoint, if he's if he's ever gonna uh, become more superior to the angels, and I think it's also the fact that you know he completed in in human form. He didn't have the advantages of the angels, yet he still completed his mission uh, here on earth as a human being. And, yeah. and I think, you know, there's there's part of the Hebrew letter that mentioned that that accentuates that Christ accomplished all that he accomplished within the frailty of a of a human being. Yeah. And, and I think that's uh, something that. uh the Hebrew author does a masterful job of all this stuff that, that Christ accomplished. And he did so for quote unquote, lack of a better term at the disadvantage of being a human. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, behind the eight ball, yeah, the, you know, he didn't have the, yeah, all the limitations the of being a human, you know, right. He, and, he, and all that he accomplished of yeah. it. And that's, 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 that's another study, another podcast, another section of scripture, yeah. but uh, no, you're absolutely right. And, and I think you're right. He, he's kicking it off right here uh, while we're on it, you know, and the mm-hmm. angels who delivered part of the old law. Let's 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 start this here. You know, yep. and all that. I love Hebrews. Yeah, I do too. Uh, many say that it is written as a sermon. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think that's that's possible. I think there's a good possibility. This is written by Luke. And he transcribed a sermon of Paul's, mm-hmm. uh, the way he transcribed Peter's sermon in Acts two, or uh, or Paul's sermon in, in, at the end of Acts, or whatever. Uh, but again, yeah. we don't know who it is. But um, whatever it is, it's it's such a logical, well organized, uh, appealing to the reasoning of 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 just humanity in general. Yep. Uh, epistle. Uh, yep. And and. It's hard not to read Hebrews or even study Hebrews to a great extent and just not be. You can't walk away from my opinion, not thinking that there's something greater than a human being writing this. And Mm -hmm. and if you and the entire Bible is that way. But Hebrews, if you can't see the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, in this, then I don't know what you're looking at. And and not that this is not good but it just it seemingly just gets better and better you know as you go in the letter because it's like he's starting out by saying he's trying to connect with them just like god has spoken time past by the prophets that you love and adore god Mm -hmm. sent the prophet and he's more like you said he's the priest he's the king all these things you know he's more than qualified for you to listen to him you need to listen to him and the thing is Many of them had listened to him, but they were going away from that. You know, he's right. going to he's going to repeat throughout the letter. Don't go back. There's no more sacrifice for sin. The Old Testament is dead. You can't. There's not another, you know, and I, it gets better in the sense like Hebrews four, you know, Jesus, he, he suffered. He he's our great high priest. He he was tempted in all points like we are. Uh, to me, that's one of the most moving parts of the Bible for me personally. It just. Yeah. He has compassion on us. He 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 went through these things like we did, and he's not browbeating us from heaven. He's he like the cloud of witnesses is cheering us on to like be faithful to me. You know, it's like the way I the way I hear, you know, the way I could make up my own scenario, if you will, of God's uh, word from the principles of God's written word. <laughs> it's like Jesus right. saying, I I know, and I've been there. You can do it. And I'm going to get you through it. If you'll just trust me, if you just obey me, you're going to make it through and you're going to shine for me. You're going to, you know, I mean, these people are being persecuted. You get to Hebrews 11 and 12 and, you know, they had not resisted the bloodshed yet, but they had former times. They had been greatly persecuted, lost their property. I've never, I've never lost my property for the Lord's sake, but I hope if I do that, I'll remain faithful and I'll cherish Hebrews more than ever. Absolutely. And I'll be faithful to him. Yeah. He's worthy to be heard and to be served. Yeah, man, that is, that's a great way to close this out. Um, excellent, excellent thoughts. Thank you, Aaron, for coming on. I appreciate your input. Yes, sir. Uh, I've enjoyed it. Yeah, um, me too. Definitely more knowledgeable of Hebrews now than I was an hour ago. Uh, those who are watching, thank you. 
I appreciate y'all support. Like, share, subscribe. And until next time, we are out. Thank you.